Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I am a managing partner at Invader Comics. Sweet, man. So what are you, uh, what are you drinking this episode? What am I drinking? Um... I am drinking, I actually tried this. This was on sale and I was super happy because this is just one of those dumb things that you do when you're like a beer nerd, right? Is that I happen to know that the health food joint, uh, the health food uh, supermarket, Mother's, has a really good relationship with this brewery called The Brewery, which we've mentioned before on the podcast. And they have a beer called uh, Orchata. I'm pretty sure that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. It's O-R-X-A-T-A. And it is a blonde ale with rice, milk, oh, sorry, rice, milk, sugar, cinnamon, and natural vanilla, and it is 7.2. So it is just that, yeah, man, it is tasty. I bought a four-pack, and I've already had two of them. Um, So this is the third one, and uh, mainly because it's it's like I, I only have IPAs and stouts at the moment, and I wasn't in the mood for either tonight. So I just had a pizza. I can't. I just can't imagine having a stout after a pizza. That just seems weird to me. But maybe I'm maybe I'm the idiot. I don't know. How about you, man? What do you got? Um, it, well, that's a good sign for your beers if you bought a four pack and you're already on the third one. So, like, yeah, it's great. There's something about sweet beers that I can only have so many of them before I get tired of them. So, uh, three mm-hmm. deep already is pretty good. Um, so we are tapped out on the beer. One of my buddies came by. We had a couple of beers that were left in the fridge, and then we ended up having a couple of seltzers because that was all what was left. And so that's all I have that's left is a uh, hard seltzer. So I have nude hard seltzer, got them at Costco. It's a 12 ounce or 5%. So a nice, easygoing night for me and uh, starting to clear these things out of the fridge. So it's been a while. Nice. They kind of need to go. So they might end up on our trip to Phoenix, actually, just to clear them out oh. completely. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to bring some to Phoenix as well. Just not not seltzers, but but other stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's very cool. That's very cool. So I mean, we we talked about this before the episode, and uh, before we get to the couple things that we did this week, you know, it, it look, I I debated on this. I sent you a text. I I thought about it on my own. Um, but what I ended up deciding was <laughs> that this is the kind of thing where if I say it at the end of the episode, it seems stupid to me. If I say it, um, <laughs> you know, not at all, it seems even dumber. Um, but so I wanted to talk about it a little bit now, which is um, it's been, you know, outside of the creative process. So we're going to take a little mini detour here and uh, not talk about the creative process for a second. We're going to talk about the fact that it was a pretty rough week for me, probably about as rough as you can get, because I lost my father. Um, and that was, I guess, five nights ago as of right now. It sucked. He had cancer for the, almost two years, and uh, the initial diagnosis was one to ten years, which you know is roughly like the cable company telling you they'll be there between eight and five. Right. Like one yeah. to ten years does not really give anybody any idea, but it turned out to be a little short of two. And uh, you know the end was rough. You know I'm an only child, so these last couple days, um, I, I basically sort of took a four day sabbatical from life. With one exception, one exception, which I'll actually get to as my second thing this week, because, you know, sitting sitting around a, a house that used to be your mom's moms and dad's and now your mom and you are in it and you're staying overnight just because, you know, 
you love your parents. And, and uh, it, was, it was about mom and I hanging together. But it was sort of a, you know, time off from life. Just, just did nothing other than wake up and have breakfast and then go do some errands and then have lunch and do some more errands and have dinner and then start to go through all the, you know, the morning and the process and, and all that stuff, you know. So I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that have gone through this. And if not, you know, what what's the line? I, I was just talking with Mike Perkins a couple hours ago and it's like, you know, we... You, you bury you bury your parents if you're lucky, <laughs> you know, and so it's, that's sort of the gig. That's the gig that we have by being children. Um, and it's something that we prepare for, you know, no matter how much you prepare for it, it still sucks. But uh, wow, just the outpouring from friends I got, you know, you included some just some amazing words of kindness from unlikely sources and from likely sources. And uh, it all helps, you know, all these even even little thumbs ups on Facebook help, you know, and you don't realize they help until all of a sudden they do. When I was talking to Mike a couple hours ago, he first said, how you doing? And I said better, you know, and then uh, he kind of preempted me. He's like, don't you dare tell me you're doing better. And I'm like, oh, Mike, I am doing better. (laughs) You know, like I'm doing much better than I was on Wednesday night. Trust me. You know, it's it's all about better in relation to the thing you were there before. So anyway. Um, that's it. I mean, I could, I could go on for five hours about it or I could just keep it short here. But the, the best way that I address this stuff is I just keep doing stuff. I keep working. And, uh, and what that means is there's always these quiet pockets of the day where you get a little sad, you know, or maybe you get a lot sad and, and that's normal. Death had an amazing little line. He said, heal and let it make you stronger. And so I, I think that's a great way of putting it. You know, it's time to begin the healing and uh, I'm going to come out stronger in the end. So anyway, uh, I miss you, Dad, and uh, I'll always be thinking of you. And with that, let's get on to the podcast, yeah? Right on, man. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I was happy to hear that you were doing better. I checked in with you a few days ago, and, you know, you seemed in better spirits. And, uh, you know, that's great. That's great to hear. And, you know, getting the diagnosis, I'm sure, kind of helped you guys prep for the moment. Um, but obviously when they give you such a wide window, that Cox cable window, it's like, when the (laughs) fuck is this showing up? So you're kind of ready and you're kind of not ready at the same time. Exactly. Like that. So that means absolutely nothing. The date range you gave me (laughs) and, uh, and, and it helped. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for absolutely nothing, you know, but, um, but anyway, so no, and I do appreciate it, man. You, you reached out more than once and, uh, and, and it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's great to have, have friends like you and people that are, that are making sure I'm okay. You know, I, I haven't quite gotten to the, like, I was actually just watching a basketball game and, uh, and one of the teams was up pretty big. And uh, I was about to make a comment to a friend on basketball, and I just didn't feel it, you know. And that's that's kind of it's it's the margins right now, where like the truly silly stuff, you just don't, you're just like, ah, oh, fuck it, I don't feel like it, <laughs> you yeah, know. But yeah, yeah. but I anyway, agree. so it's all good, man. Life life is life, and uh, and this is part of the gig, right? So we we move on, we move on, and we heal, and we uh, we let it make us stronger. Right on, man. All right. Well, so since I'm hosting this week, that means you're up. What's the first thing you tackled this week, or the, yeah. the most important thing? Yeah, I actually did a couple pretty decent things. Um, the first thing is that I got Mike's notes back from animals. And so it's been a very eventful churn in terms of animals. So I'm going to try to summarize everything here. So animals was initially written in 10 chapters. The first five chapters or so were done by one artist. Actually, first eight chapters were done by one artist. But the problem is... Um, 
there were some problems in the art after chapter five. So chapters six, seven, and eight needed work. The artist then wasn't able to continue. So what I have is five good chapters, three semi-okay chapters, and two chapters with absolutely no art at all. So I I did my best to kind of do this thing where I was going to create the backgrounds and try to recreate this whole paint effect, you know, background, which is kind of what the first five chapters are. They're a very digital paint style with some like scribbly drawings over it. And I tried to recreate that by hiring another artist to do pencils on top of either existing stuff or um, or some backgrounds that I was going to do. So it seemed okay. You know, I still needed work done on the final two chapters. Um, but what I did was I gave Mike Perkins the script to the first to the entire thing, and I just did little thumbnails of each of the pages at the top so he could see what they looked like, and then had the script. So Mike came back with the typical good notes about the script. You know, there was there was a scene where I was trying to be a little too clever, and he was like, it just didn't work. And so I decided that instead of redoing it, I just cut it. Um, and there were some other things like that where we we are still in conversation, but they're very good typical writing notes. Where it got tricky was the art. And and the reason the art gets tricky is because Mike thought that it what I was trying to do does not work at all. Basically, that the difference in art is jarring, even though I'm trying to make the difference not jarring. So what that means is, you know, I had a couple options, right? We could try to salvage chapter 6 through 10 and kind of go with this style that works. But Mike basically said, it doesn't work. It's not the same thing. It takes me out. And I think it'll take other readers out. So what else can we do? And I had already had a plan at the ready, which is basically, it, it sort of sets up the marketing for the book. Animals is going to now come out in two books. Book one will be the first five chapters that have been condensed a little bit. It might even be four chapters because I'll just roll them in, but it's about 30 pages, something like that. And uh, and that's going to be the first artist. And those pages are essentially done. All I really have to do is letter them and um, and maybe do a couple other things in terms of like tweaking dialogue and stuff, but they're pretty much ready to go. And then there's the second part of the book, which is pretty close to written and just needs a little work, but now is going to have a brand new artist. So... I'm in conversations with an artist that I will hire. That's, uh, you know, we, we uh, invader adjacent, um, a guy who's looking to do some work with us. And, you know, we have our network of people that do work. So um, I'm already in conversation with him and we're going to see where it goes. Um, and ideally, you know, you want the style to be sort of similar. Um, you want it. I mean, I think he has a different style than the first half, but that's OK. You know, like I, we can do what I want. we want. It's our book. We just can't have the styles be too jarring. You can't go from a funky digital paint, you know, Bill Sinkevich combined with Hunter S. Thompson style of the first, you know, like I'm thinking of the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas cover with that really sketchy thing, you know, like it sort of looks like that, like like really raw and sinkevich you know, for the first book. And the second book can't then turn into like Batman the Animated Series. You know, you can't yeah. <laughs> you can't have that striking a difference. But what you could do is you could have a very comic book colory thing that's sketchy and raw like a lot of the books that you tended to pluck out of dollar bins for me in places you know so it can be a little different it can't just be just can't be a lot different but um that's kind of where we are you know so a whole lot of progress on animals the direction of animals is set 
you know, obviously it's going to be a little more costly to get the artist going on book two. And we'll probably end up soliciting book one, you know, within the next couple months. Um, Kadoja's next up in the in the Keith cycle. And, uh, and then after that, we'll probably move on to Animals book one before I come back to, you know, selling Kadoja book two. So, yeah, man, lots of movement. And I feel good about Animals. It's going to be a story told in two parts. And, uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. Right on, man. That's great. Yeah, that's a... Uh... You know, another one of your projects that have been coming along for quite a while now, and we've talked privately about it, so uh, it's great to hear that there's some forward momentum on it, and uh, we'll see issue one uh, sooner than later, so it's very cool. Yeah, 2020, blah, 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 2022, it will definitely be out, you know, well, I haven't even decided whether I want to kickstart it or not, honestly, but I mean... Oh, by the end of the year? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you can... You know, it's a matter of fitting it into the Invader schedule in terms of getting a Kickstarter for issue one done, but uh, we'll see. So yeah, I'm feeling really good about it. And again, issue one's pretty close to done, so we can probably fit that into our revamped Invader schedule. Um, Yeah. So how about you, man? What was your first thing? Uh, Number one with a bullet on the list is Wanders of Melisandre 3 is done. The interiors, all the art for the interiors is done, as well as the cover um, for quite a while. Yeah. I had nothing for the cover. No clue what to do. And this is something you had mentioned on the pod the other week was bouncing ideas off of your partner. You yeah. Know, your significant other. And so I was talking to my girlfriend. I'm like, I have no clue. So after I finished the interiors, which was a, a great feeling, it's always great to f- finish the interior art, I was like, I'm done, but I'm not done. Number one, I have to go through and look for inconsistencies with the art. So, like, um, it's been a while since I've drawn the Wanderers universe. You know, I drew issue two in the beginning of 2020, like right at the beginning of quarantine. And I've been focusing solely on Second Shift ever since the, the second issue came out. So it's been a while, and I'm drawing a lot of random animals, random, like, beasts and stuff like that, and I don't know... I don't have it earmarked in my head. How many fingers do they have? How many, you know, like, how many species, which species have four fingers, which species have two, five, yeah. etc. cetera. So um, I had to, like, go back and look through issue two, and, and, I, and I'm so glad that I did because one of the characters that I was drawing, he had two or three fingers, you know, two fingers and a thumb, and I was drawing him with four fingers, three fingers and a thumb. So I was just like, oh, I got to go through and I have to adjust all of these things. Um, yeah. There was a question of where one of the characters was that's part of their team and they weren't on the first couple of pages and I had no explanation as to where that character was. So I actually had to go back and draw that character in uh, on a couple <laughs> of the pages. So I was happy that I did it. And, you know, that's something you got to do is you got to make sure you're being consistent throughout. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I had done that after finishing the interiors. I gave it a once over, noticed those issues corrected them didn't take very long i think it took me i think i was in such a great place since i had finished drawing the interiors that i was like no you're busting this shit out so i fixed i fixed all of those issues um in probably about one hour so Mm. a good turnaround time and um after that it was like okay what am i doing with the cover and so i was talking to my girlfriend and i was like i have no idea what to do I have one idea, it was, you know, it's just kind of okay. This other idea is too close to this alternate cover that I've had done. And um, she's like, well, why don't you do something with these characters? Because they're only in this story, right? And I was like, hey, that's a good idea. I should do something. <laughs> because cause 
one of my pet peeves, and I guess, oh, a, uh, a long-awaited pet peeve of mine. And remember, I have one later, too. Yes, so, yes, yeah. you do. The cover not really reflecting what goes on in the issue. Yeah. And, and, like, I don't know. It, it, I, want to, I want the fans to look at the cover and go, oh, this is when they met with this character. This is the first time this character appeared. Or this is where they battle this, this other character. And so I like that element of cover work. I want there to be a story there. So even if it's just as simple as a face and it's like, oh, it's that guy's face because it's the first time he appeared in the story or he's the main focus of the story. Um, and with this particular instance, it was just like, yeah, these characters more than likely won't appear again in this story at all. So it's a great idea to put them on the cover because then people flip through their issues and go, oh, yeah, I remember this issue. This was cool because of, you know, for whatever reasons, I think it's cool. Um, or they think it, it sucks, whatever, whatever they feel they will know by looking at that cover. So, um, I did a couple of layouts and I wanted to do about four, but I got to two and I was like, I like both of these. And I tried a third and it just wasn't flowing. I'm like, you know what? We're done. Two, two cover layouts is good enough for me. And I kind of have a little bit of a brain trust that I bounce off of. And, uh, as well as my girlfriend, I was like, you know, what do you think of these? And, you know, I had them in different colors. She's like, okay, green. And then with my other friends, um, two out of the three voted green. And I was also leaning towards green. So I was like, all right, cool. That, that locks it in. And, um, so within an hour to two hours, I drew the cover and, mm. uh, yeah, with quick turnaround time. I was really proud of myself that day. Not only did I finish the last page of interiors, but I managed to do a couple of layouts for the cover and knock it out all in the same day. So super that's productive awesome. and uh, yeah, things are moving. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is it sounds like your lady actually had the idea. Like that was the idea where I talked about how my wife is excellent at uh, her best thing seems to be the idea that leads to the idea as opposed to the final idea itself, you know? Um, although she's been getting better and better at ideas that were much closer to, to the final thing. But, you know, Having that dialogue is helpful and obviously having a significant other or friends or whatever that can really be good sounding boards for you is uh, super helpful, man. So that's that's really cool. I dig it. I dig yeah, it. The, the cover's fun too. It's um it's interesting. It's a, actually going to be a gatefold cover. And I tried something a little different with this one because Wanderers has a black bar that runs across the top of it. And that's where the, you know, the, the title goes and like all of the you know, the company and, and price tag and all of that stuff goes on that black bar. I was like, what if I turn this image, the, the 11 by 17 piece of paper, what, why don't I turn it on its side? So it's 17 by 11. And then that way, any kind of art that I had already drawn in there in the sketch, I was thinking, okay, when I put the black bar, I'm going to lose all of this information. But the main character and what's going on with him is still center focus with that black bar. But what if I turn it on its side? Then I don't lose any of those details. I got to keep everything in it and it rolls over to the back of the book. And so any kind of gap in space, um, I can easily make that up with, um, you know, another black bar or something like that. Just kind of format yeah. it like almost like a book, you know. And mm -hmm. so uh, that's what I ended up doing. And so that's complete. And I actually sent it off to my Wanderers colorist who does just the covers is uh, Emily Rocha. She she's part of the Accidental Aliens and she's a fantastic painter. And so she painted the first two covers. And so I wanted that tradition to keep going. And also I love having the original art 
on my wall that I can check mm -hmm. out anytime I want. So really looking forward to this one. She hasn't started it yet, uh, but I'm really looking forward to that and hoping it does happen soon because um, in the near future that Kickstarter needs to get rolling. Yeah, man. No, that's great. That's great. I mean, wow, to go from like inception to completion in three or four hours, that's pretty awesome. So, and that's good. That that lets you know that you kind of had the flow. You know, like there, there are times when I've written like entire, back in the day, I'd re write an entire song in like, four, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or even a little bit longer if it was like a rap song with tons of bars. You know, you don't just, you don't just write 68 bars in five minutes, <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so yeah, man, I, I get it. I get it. And then, and, and some things are need to be crafted and need to be honed and whittled and other things just flow and, they're done. And you're like, no, 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 this is the final product. Like, I, I feel good about it. So that's awesome. How about you, man? What's your second thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I should I should have just gone straight into it, huh? So the second thing, I tell you what, dude, I think we're really getting close to the end of the novel here. You know, like, knock knock on wood. Um, as as we record this, I have one more workshop with my, my workshop mates. And I'm thinking that's going to be the last one because I've set this date for, you know, july 1st basically june 30th to just be completely done and i think this will be it for me to get this last workshop in so this workshop's going to come in and i'm going to get some notes and i'm going to write those and then i also currently have a workshop up to my mentor and that might end up being the last workshop through him you know and and at this point he's already come back and said the first 40 pages i mean don't get me wrong there's some things going on there but you know my opinion of those things is they are sort of higher level things as opposed to break fix things and he's already said this looks pretty good to me <laughs> you know like i don't i don't know why an agent would give you an easy no on this you know i, I don't i mean that that said it doesn't mean people want to represent the book you know like people represent a book because they think it's going to sell and they think it's going to sell copies so that's a whole another part entirely but from a quality craft perspective man we're really close here um and i can tell we're close because I'm running out of things to change, you know, and that's the thing too. You know, we've we've talked about the my favorite adage of how do you know when it's done, and when you know it's done is when the changes don't make anything better; they just make anything different. And uh, and where I am right now is that I can tell it's like Minority Report. Like I can tell the changes aren't going to make anything better, so I just don't bother. So it's like, well, maybe that's about it, you know. So. I did something, uh, you know, over over the weekend when I was really just kind of taking a, a break from society and just hanging out with my mom and we were resolving stuff. Um, I I did something that was always meant to be the final thing for writing this book, right? Which is I I paid for a subscription to Grammarly. So Grammarly is a, it's what you think it is. It's basically like for anybody that uses Microsoft Word or Google Documents or even actually Google email does it now, I think. I think a lot of them do. They'll like spell check your shit. They'll put little red lines under stuff and whatever. So Grammarly is that hardcore. Like Grammarly is not just a couple misspellings and things. Grammarly is like you have a goddamn editor. You, you basically have the elements of style editing your book as a computer. You know, it is bonkers how many things they see. Now, some of those things are clearly wrong because it's robot brain and they're getting stuff wrong. And there's there's enough there's enough flaws with the Grammarly software where you can't just take all their changes sight unseen. You know, you need to evaluate every one of these changes. And it's a grind because it's, it's technical stuff. But uh, boy, I tell you what, 
depending on what time of week we record um, next week, I might be done. And if not, I'll definitely be done by two podcasts from now in terms of this Grammarly pass of the book. And then if I do anything else, uh, you know, where I'm adding new stuff, well, then I'll still have it and it'll it'll keep me honest while I'm doing all that stuff, you know. So, yeah, man, like we're almost here. You know, we're almost to the point where I'm ready to shop this and uh, for agents and uh, and see what happens. And, you know, the, the big thing I've learned with Grammarly is I, I don't know if I'm I, I don't think I ever told you why I wanted to get Grammarly. The number the number one thing I'm weak at it is is commas. I'm just not sure I'm fucking good with commas. You know, commas are <laughs> commas are fucked up, man. You know, like there's so many ways to use them and so many rules and all that stuff. And God damn it, if I wasn't right, you know, I at, through all these things, it's just like my commas, my comma game is pretty weak. And uh, I got I got to say my like, OK, so I am I don't my vocabulary isn't where it needs to be. Um, 10 years of wrestling have knocked some words out of my brain. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty damn good with commas. Um, and you know, you know where I thought where it kind of like broke in my brain was someone was talking about Christopher Walken when he gets scripts, he'll go through his script with his, his agent or whoever it is. And he gives it back to them, but he's added commas in the way that he speaks. Yeah. And I was like, huh? And it's just something that never dawned on me. I'm like, oh, okay. Because you think of what you've learned in school. And, like, I have those basic skills, right? Like, like yeah. I still remember some of that stuff. And then, like, hearing just that triggered something in my head. And so when I'm reading dialogue, like, um, you know, Ed will send me stuff. And sometimes he's, or a lot of times, he's doing it in between watching his child, going to the gym, you know, uh, teaching, you know, whatever, whatever else is going on. Right. So a lot of times I'm like, oh, for a English major, there's a lot of missing commas here, you know, or missing <laughs> punctuation. So it's, it's funny that you bring that up and, uh, uh, yeah, man, it's, it happens to the best of us, but, uh, I'm yeah. glad that that app is helping you out. Yeah. And the other thing, and that, that wasn't even the most, I, so that wasn't the eye opening thing. That was the thing that my hunch was correct on. I'm just like, I don't, I don't think I'm a master of commas here. <laughs> the thing that was the real eye-opening thing is, wow, do I need to use more semicolons than I do? Like, there are so many times where I should have used a fucking semicolon. See, I, I don't know where semi, I don't know where semicolons go. That's where I'm weakest at. Is like, okay, semicolons are it's for you do a short sentence, and then the second part of that, even though it's together, it could be something else. Who so uses semicolon? Is that yeah? Right? I mean, that's that's about it. I mean, you know, I. It's tough for me to, like, the definition is one thing, and that sounds correct on definition, but it's more about how how the feel of it is, you know? So I tend to favor the kind of sentence where he's like, he savored the view. It reminded him of the beach in Kansas, you know, like that kind of thing. And I believe that is a semicolon right there. He savored the view, semicolon. It reminded him of a beach in Kansas, right? Like that kind of thing. Of course, the... Grammarly might correct it and say there are no fucking beaches in Kansas, but you know, that's you, you gotta <laughs> be real smart on Gram. And that there has to be some beaches in Kansas, even if there's like artificial beaches at water parks and shit, you know, yeah, Kansas like come lake, at us. Man-made us, lake you know, or something. Yeah, totally, man. There's, yeah, there's beaches, there's man-made lakes and shit. So, or there's just lakes. So anyway, that, that was good, but you know, lost in all that Grammarly goodness. I'm, I'm about, uh, you know, two fifths of the way through something like that. I still have some, some room to go, but it moves pretty fast. I can do, 
I can do about, uh, you know, four sections of the book. And it's a book that's in about 50 sections uh, before my brain just starts to hurt. And I'm like, okay, that's enough fucking grammar that I need to look at and rephrasing and things like that. But uh, but yeah, man, we're, we're getting there. And I, I do really think we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. So barring some kind of disastrous workshop that comes up, which I think the probability is, is substantially lower now than it was a year ago when I got that disastrous feedback, you know, 14, 15 months ago. Um, yeah, man, I think we're going to be ready to go. And uh, and then it's going to be time to, you know, I, I, I actually also just activated my subscription to Publishers Marketplace, which is where you see what books and what genres are being sold and for how much and things like that, oh. because it's time for me to know that, you know, like, and that was the recommendation of my mentor, you know, like get in there, see what, see what's going on right now in your, in your um, genre and what kind of deals are happening so that you go in there armed and have the right expectations. So we'll see what happens, man. That's awesome, man. Sounds like the house is done being built and it's uh, all the decorating is almost complete. Just a couple more yeah, paintings man. to hang up and uh, you can move in. I'm, 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 it's a, a bunch of paintings and they are all of commas and semicolons. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How about you, man? What was your second thing? Oh, so you had said something there that uh, something that goes along in my first thing is I hit my deadline. That's something I forgot to mention. I had a May 18th deadline, and I actually finished Wanders the Interiors uh, day before. So on the 17th, I managed to finish the last page of Interiors and the cover. So um, that was a nice win for me. And uh, I love hitting yeah. deadlines. It's like, you know, they're self-imposed. You know, we're, we're doing our own books here, but we also are on schedules. We're trying to, you know, get these books out in a timely manner. And, and by hitting those deadlines, you know, you're you're succeeding. You're you're finishing your product and you're going to get that out to the world. So I'm um, yeah. glad I hit that deadline. Um, so it's going to be an all Wanderers episode for me. So I don't remember if I had mentioned this on the air or not, but during San Diego Comic Fest, I managed to get um, Scott Shaw of Hanna-Barbera fame to actually do my alternate cover for Wanderers number three. So did I mention this story on the air? I don't think so. Okay. So this is kind of a fun story. Um, so I initially went into the dealer room where Scott Shaw was looking for another artist. Uh, this other artist was said to be there. I was looking for him on a Saturday. He was not there. His his pop-up banner was there. His lunch was there. <laughs> he had his name on it. That's how we knew it was his lunch. And um, <laughs> he wasn't there. And I went back and forth to that room which isn't close to small press, but it was like, you know what? We have a lot of dead time here in small press. So every once in a while I would leave the booth. I'd have one of my buddies just, Hey, keep an eye out. And I would go check it out. He wasn't there. So Sunday rolls around. I go back. His pop-up is gone. His lunch is gone. So, <laughs> um, I was like, well, he's not coming back. Yeah. You know, he's a bit of a name and, I guess he wasn't expecting, I mean, who knows why he wasn't there. Let me, let me not even try to guess why he wasn't there, but he wasn't. So he was actually the lunch. (laughs) That's right. That's the twist (laughs) out to lunch. That's what it said on, on it. Um, so a couple of table spots down there was Scott Shaw and Scott Shaw is a staple of the comics world and San Diego comic fest itself. And I was like, he, he does all of the art for, like, the T-shirts and all the programming. He, he does it all for San Diego Comic Fest. So I was like, it would kind of be killer if I could get him to do an alternate cover. But, you know, he's he's old school, and I, I wasn't sure if he'd be up for it or if he even does that type of work anymore. 
And so I go up to him and I, I was like, Hey, I just wanted to meet the guy that does all the art for the show. And you know, it's great to meet you. And he's just super nice. We started talking. And so I had mentioned, I said, I was holding two issues of second shift because this particular, the particular artist that I was looking for, that was the style. That was the book that I wanted the alternate cover for. It would just fit perfectly. Um, so I had a couple issues of second shift with me. And so I started talking to Scott Shaw about it and he goes, I was like, do you do any cover work? I don't know if you, you still do that type of thing. And he looks at me and he goes, all of the people that hired me are dead. <laughs> <laughs> And so he so was up no. for it. Yeah. <laughs> so he was up for it because uh, he wasn't getting hired because all of those guys are dead. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was just like, oh, okay. And so I showed him the books. And so he was looking through it. And um, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to need a few days to, to finish it. But yeah, this is something I can do. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you can take your time because this the cover that you would be doing, it's not going to come out for a while. I haven't even started the issue yet. I'm actually working on another book. And then I was just like, oh, wait, maybe I was like, well, the other book that I'm doing is, I don't know if you'd be interested in this one. It's uh, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. And he he was looking down at the books and he looked up at me. And I was like, oh, is does that one like sound something more that you'd be interested in? And he goes, you know, I'm the Flintstones artist, right? <laughs> and i'm just like oh you fuck like in my head i'm like you fucking idiot of course yeah, you yeah. would rather do this one you know it's just like right he was made for this you know so yeah. it's like anthropomorphic dinosaurs of course he's gonna want to do that one yeah and exactly. so i was like you know what let me i was like let me be right back i'm gonna grab those books and so um i went back to my table dropped the second shift issues up off picked up the wanderers issues brought them back to him and he goes this, he goes, look, no offense. He goes, but this is way better. He goes, this is, he goes, the storytelling's more clear. I like the, um, I like the characters more. And, and like, it's all personal preference at the end of the day, obviously, because mm -hmm. Second Shift, it's standard American superhero looking comic books compared to Wanderers, which is all widescreen shots mm -hmm. and just like cartoony, you know, anthropomorphic dinosaurs and, and very cartoony looking humans. So, you know, he is a cartoony artist. So that obviously yeah. appeals more to him. Um, so I took no offense. And so he was going through it and he goes, yeah, this is great. And um, so we just started chopping it up and he's like, hey, sit down. So we were sitting down and talking for like 15 minutes and just a really nice guy. And uh, he's already finished the cover. So nice. Uh, it looks great. I'll shoot it your way. Damn it's right you will. It's, it's amazing, honestly, to see um, my characters in that Hanna-Barbera style. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's just, it's so killer. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's already done. It's already flatted. I flatted it as soon as I got it. I adjusted the levels to take out all the blue line and then, um, you know, flattened it and sent it to Joaquin. So I gave him the awesome. notes on exactly what I want to be done on it that uh, standard Hanna-Barbera style, the Flintstone style specifically, the, the backgrounds of the Flintstones was painted, and mm -hmm. then the characters themselves were kind of a flat color. But I also want Joaquin to try a, like a cell shade on the characters to kind of pop them out even more mm -hmm. and just see what that looks like. So I'm right. pretty excited about that one. Rock on, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So if we're going to a third thing, the third thing I want to mention is that when this airs, we're getting really close to the Kadoja... Symphony of Madness number one Kickstarter 
coming out will be about a week away. And Scott and I have talked about that before, and I'm not going to go into it, but Scott has shown me um, some process work of the of the making comics version cover, and uh, it looks great, dude. And so I want everybody to keep an eye out, and because uh, I'm st- I still have to have some things come back, I need to do the cover for the main version myself. Of course, I'm waiting for inks, and uh, on, on the bonus eight pages, it's going to be a long issue. It's going to be 32 interior pages. So, uh, you know, you'll get your money's worth. It'll, it'll obviously be priced accordingly, but uh, it's a good start to the final arc, man, and I'm excited. Things are coming together. That's nice, man. Yeah, so that's that's kind of part of my third one as well, is I did the flats. So I had been trying to knock out those interiors for Wanderers 3, so it was kind of putting a halt on some stuff. So as soon as I finished that, I jumped on the Kadoja cover, because I know I knew you wanted to do a Kickstarter soon, and mm-hmm. so I just wanted to make sure you weren't waiting on me. And so I flat I flatted the cover as soon as I was done with the interiors and shot those over to Joaquin and let him know, uh, hey, this is an homage cover. Here's the cover that's homaging. Do the colors accordingly. Try to match it up. You know, you could even nice. use the same color scheme and everything. Um, it just because I wanted to mimic it as close as possible. And it's a fun awesome. cover. And you know that will be revealed. Like it will probably already be revealed as the you know, as this podcast comes out potentially or really uh, close yeah, or very close okay. to it. Um, so that was one of the flattings that I had done along with the Hanna-Barbera Scott Shaw cover and a third cover. So I like to have three covers for my Kickstarters. Personally, I have the standard cover, the Kickstarter exclusive cover and the variant cover. Mm-hmm. So Scott Shaw's will be the variant cover just in case this, the series gets picked up by uh, you know, a company or something like that. I, I don't like going back on my word. So these Kickstarter exclusives, they are Kickstarter exclusives Uh, and and you won't be able to get them anywhere else if the series gets picked up from a publishing house. So um, that's, that's your best bet as far as exclusivity goes, but I want the Scott Shaw one to be, you know, propped up pretty good. Uh, But um, you know, so anyway, the Kickstarter exclusive cover, this is a trend for my books. Shaheen Lajouiz has done two different Kickstarter exclusive covers for me. Um, actually issues 10 and 12. So the last the last two issues of Second Shift that I put out, they both had Shaheen covers as the Kickstarter exclusives. And uh, during the pandemic, he was trying to send over my stuff, but stuff got lost in the shuffle. He's a very busy person. It took him a while to send me the original art and like buy quite a bit. And he felt really bad about it. So he said, hey, man, um, I still haven't sent it out, which was a relief to me because I had checked in. And I was like, hey, it's been X amount of time. Uh, did you send it? I'm worried that it's lost in the mail. And he said, dude, I'm sorry. I just haven't sent it yet. I've been so busy, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, man, no worries. Don't you know? Don't worry about it. I was just, I'm glad it's not lost. And he said, you know what? Who do you want me to do a head sketch for you of? He goes, you know, I, I want to... I want to give you something a little extra because, you know, you've been waiting so long. So when I got the package in the mail, I had asked him to do uh, a drawing of Mars. And I thought that would be cool to have, you know, like just see his style on the Wanderers book. And when I got the package in the mail, it was a full body drawing of Mars in, in like her gear and everything. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, this is a whole other piece. Like, it's so sick. And so I contacted him. I let him know I got the package in the mail. Everything was good. Um, 
And I was just so thankful that he drew a full body shot. And he said, you know, you were really cool about it. You've been super patient. You didn't make a big deal out of it. So I thought you deserved, you know, just more than a head sketch. And uh, I had asked him, could I use this for the book? And he said, yeah, man, go for it. And so that was that was so awesome. It was like I got a free cover from him. And awesome. Yeah. And I, honestly, I forgot about it. And I was like, what am I going to do for my third cover? So I have the hmm. standard cover and I have the Scott Shaw cover. And I had just so happened to be flipping through my portfolio that has all the alternate covers that I've done uh, or that I've had done for my books. So I have a 11 by 17 portfolio that where I keep all of those, uh, the ones that aren't on the wall. And I saw the piece and I flipped out. I was like, oh, man, like I don't have to commission someone else. I don't have to dip into my funds even further. And um, here it is. Here is a free cover that I can use as a Kickstarter exclusive cover. So that was a big win. I flatted it right then and there. I had already scanned it in, completely forgot. So found the scan, uh, uploaded it, flatted it, sent that to Joaquin as well. So I'm keeping Joaquin super busy. Uh, he's working on three covers as we speak. And uh, hopefully I'll see that very soon. And you guys will see that very soon too, because I will also be doing a Kickstarter for Wanderers 3. Um, I, I believe it's going to be somewhere around June 1st to the end of, uh, end of June. All right, man. Big, big Kickstarter month coming up for us. And you're in all of them. You're in mine yeah. and you're in yours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, you can't fucking run. You can't run. You can't hide from Scott Lost. That's right. Um, I am all right, man. That's awesome. I am inevitable. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to go ahead and go to the main topic. So we're already about 40 minutes in. So I'm glad you guys hung in there with us. We just had a lot to do. We had a lot of stuff that we did, a lot of productivity. And so hopefully some of that stuff was interesting to you and useful. Uh, but we're going back to the thing that we've talked about the last four episodes, the hardest thing about making comics, part five. And uh, the first one we got, it is from at Jason underscore Sandberg, proofreading. Keith, proofreading. Well, yeah, I mean, I that's not the hardest part about making comics to me, but I, I totally understand it. Um, you know, proofreading is tricky... So it depends on how many times you touch it. You know what I mean? Like in my case, I'm writing it and then I'm sending it off to someone for comment, probably Mike, um, in terms of a comic. And then I'm getting it back and then I'm reading it again with his notes. And so if I fuck up, he's going to catch it, <laughs> right? There, My first ch chance of catching the fuck up is him. And then, and then I'm going to rewrite it and then I'm going to have a chance of catching it again because then it's basically ready to go. I might give it to him for another pass. I might not. And then it's time for me to do lettering because I do lettering. I'm giving myself a whole lot of touch points there to make the proofing work. You know what I mean? Like I get that proofreading is hard. And I'm guessing that where this question comes from is just the idea of the dialogue being right. And not, you know, doing the infamous and, and, or that, that, that you get sometimes in, in word balloons where you accidentally double a word um, or things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get it, I suppose, but I don't find proofreading that tough. But, I mean, I have a pretty elaborate system of checks and balances, and I get to touch it multiple times to make sure that, uh, number one, it's right, and number two, that... 
uh, it stays fresh in my head. So, I mean, I, I can understand proofreading how it can be a total grind, especially if you're working on your own and you're just tired of looking at stuff and, and that's all you're doing. So I, I definitely respect the statement. Um, in my case, I have a pretty good system that hopefully uh, allows all the errors to get caught because that's the goal of proofreading. It's kind of like what I was talking about with Grammarly. Is it fun? No, not really. You know, is it essential? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. It's essential as hell. And uh, ideally, the more you learn through the process, for example, I now know I need to use way more semicolons, uh, then the less proofreading you have to do going forward because proofreading should, at its best, um, keep you learning so that you need less proofreading in the future. Um, proofreading is something, I understand what he's saying for me. I mean, I. Maybe it's a little different. The way I feel about it is I do not want any errors in my book. So I proofread my book at least four times, at the very least. I will go over it with a fine-tooth comb. I will send it to uh, an editor friend, and I will send it to Ed. And I'm like, look this over, see if you see any issues, any typos, anything. And, you know, you get double duty with Ed because he'll go, you know what, I don't like the way the sentence is phrased. It sounds weird. Um, same, same with my editor. And uh, so they both kind of do do those two things together. And is where at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm covered as far as how things sound. But there needs to be the right commas, semicolons, periods, exclamation points, question marks. All of that has to be right. Double, triple, quadruple check it at the very least. It's something I am a bit of a spaz about. Um, to the point, like the the trigger of it was, and, and honestly, I had always done it, but a friend had read my an issue. I can't remember what issue. And he goes, hey, just so you know, there's a typo right here. And I was so angry with myself. I'm like, how the fuck did I miss this? And so ever since then, it's like, a neurotic thing. It's like it's borderline neurotic when I when I do my proofreading. So I understand that being uh, uh, Jason Sandberg's thing, and uh, I'm with you. I get it. But let's let's take that a little bit further, right? Because now that now that I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking of my own answer, I will I will say let's take this a step further. Let's talk about some ways that you can maybe make proofreading a little bit more fun. I didn't say fun. I just said a little, a walk or two up the fun spectrum. <laughs> and more importantly, switch shit up. And, um, you know, I have this huge list that I got when it comes to proofreading pros on ways you can make shit different. But I'm going to take two of them and apply them to comics here. Okay. Number one, a nice thing to do with proofreading is we all do our work digitally, probably. Print your pages out. Even if it's as simple as taking your finished pages with lettering in them and putting them in a Word document and printing out that Word document, whatever you need to do, print pages, take those pages with you and bring a red pen. And then you're looking at it new. You're sort of reading it like a comic. You know, you're presenting it like a comic and that might give you a fresh way to look at it, which is all you really want. You want your eyes fresh, you know? Um, and then the other thing I would recommend is uh, read it backward. And I don't mean read the words backward. I mean, start bottom right and work your way up in backward progression along a comics page or read it manga style or read it out of order or read something that is not the linear forward way that you're always reading stuff. Because that's generally when your brain starts to coast in the back. You know what your brain is doing on a subconscious level is saying, right, right, right. We've done this before. So if you trick your brain to go, oh, no, no, bitch, we're going backwards. 
You know, now your brain's going to be like, oh, well, this is new. This is fresh. My my pistons are firing. And that helps. You know, again, the Detroit I don't pistons? mean. What's that? The Detroit Pistons? Who are they firing? You mean the, you mean the team that used to be in the NBA? <laughs> They're in the G League now, right? Yeah, I think so. I think they got relegated. <laughs> they won a you know, title uh, in 2004 and then got kicked out. <laughs> uh, my editor actually does that very style. He prints the pages out and he underlines that he gets his red pen and, and all of that. So he actually does that, um, uh, which is interesting, you know, and, and that's also why I have two other people doing the proofreading at the same time as me, because, you know, like you said, you're looking at the, you're reading the same script, your brain starts to coast because yeah, I've read this script X amount of times. So I completely understand what you're getting, uh, getting at there. And uh, yeah, those extra eyes definitely does help. Random stupid thing. I just did this for, I think I did it for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one. I, I had printed the whole thing out and, uh, and I was just going through it and marking up stuff. And I took it to lunch one time and I'm in a Chipotle and I'm sitting there just eat, fucking eating my, my brick bowl or whatever. And I got the comic script out. I got a red pen. It's marked up pretty good. I mean, I, not that much, but you know, it's got some marks on it and I'm just sitting there going through it with a red pen dude at the table next to me. He's like, are you a comic writer? And I was like, yeah, I am, man. You know? And he was just like dumbfounded. <laughs> I can't, I like can't he's never explain. seen one in the wild. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was like, it was like I was Bigfoot or something like that or, uh, or anyway, you know? So anyway, it was just funny. It was funny. Cause he, he held it in such awe, you know, that like, yes, man, I write comics. That's what I do. You know, so anyway, it was it was super funny. And uh, and hey, yeah, you can always have that fun thing in the wild. If you take it somewhere and you start marking shit up, people might come up to you and, and actually think you're cool, which is pretty great. <laughs> right on, man. Uh, OK, uh, the next one is at Black Fly Press, getting people to put down their corporate comics and support your unknown shit. <sighs> Boy. I mean, is that, is that not, I want you to go first, man. I don't even like, that is, that is six podcasts worth of stuff, you know? (laughs) Well, it's like, it's like he's directing it right at us because, you know, um, going off (laughs) of the title there, Black Fly Press. So they must be an indie because I, I I mean, not that I know all companies, but I, I have not heard of this company. And so obviously it's something they're trying to get off the ground. They're indie comics as well. So yeah, I feel this guy. It's something we talk about. Uh, with our personal collecting, I have very limited big two comics that on my pull list. Most of my pull list is independence, you know, or third-party comics. You know, it's just like, all right, it's a, a shitload of image, some, you know, Dark Horse here and there, you know, uh, you know, all the other ones, all the, the smaller companies, IDW, etc. Um, th- those are the books that I prefer reading because you're more than likely going to get something new at those companies than you would at the big two because the big yeah. two, they have to, they have to ride the line, you know, right. like you, you can't really kill Superman. Like you could pretend you're going to kill Superman for six months or something like that and bring him back. And, uh, but he's never going to die. So right. for me, it's like, yeah, I've, I've read that for 30, 30 plus years. And it's just not as interesting to me anymore. So yeah. I'm going all in on these independents and these third-party comics, and and that's where I spend my dollars. So, but not everyone's like me. Not everyone's going to do that. They like their comics like they cut like comfort food. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like they tend to keep their dollars where 
they feel comfortable. You know, they yeah. love Spider-Man, they love Thor or whoever else, and that's what they're going to back. So yeah, it's tough getting to get random people to buy your books, but that's that's why I love comic conventions because I get to talk to people. They can see how passionate I am about my book. They can see the art uh, itself, and if it's visually interesting to them, then and then they like my energy and my pitch, then they're gonna like the book. You know, that's just right. my personal opinion. Right. And, and look, man, I, I'm just I'm just gonna keep it real. If you're down here in the indie waters, and and you know, I'm talking. Now I'm talking like the deep indie waters, right? I'm talking about people that decided that they don't want to do stuff through Diamond. I'm talking about people that maybe just go show to show and do some local shows, you know, and and don't even have a web store. You know, I'm talking about people that are just getting started. I'm talking about the indie motherfuckers, right? It's not just the big two that are your competition, man. Like Marvel and DC, they're not your league. You know what I mean? They are not our league, Scott. You know, Marvel and DC have marketing budgets. <laughs> we have no marketing budget. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Marvel and DC have catering budgets that obliterate what we would ever want to spend on a marketing budget. Okay. But it's not just Marvel and DC. It's Image. It's dark. It's all the third party people. It's Image. It's Dark Horse. It's Valiant. It's, you know, I mean, it's Fanographics. And, and I'm not just done. I'm not done yet. It's Vault. It's Scout. It's, you know, it's, it's aftershock. It's companies like that, man. They, these guys have more money than we do. The best thing that, that, that carries me through this is the idea of waking up and making one fan, just one, make one today, right? Make one and then worry about the rest later and do shows and get out there and grind, you know, like what was the, I finally shared the stupid thing uh, with you at, um, at free comic book day that I always do. You know, you had the kind of day at free comic book day that I always have a sale here, a sale there, a sale there. At no point do you ever actually feel good about yourself until, (laughs) until you look at the sales at the end of the day and you're like, holy shit, man, that wasn't bad. Why did I, why did I not feel good at any part of my day? <laughs> you know? And I, and I did that dumb little thing with you that I do in my own head whenever you just get any sale, hustling, grinding, grinding, hustling, hustling, grinding, right? Like that's what we are, man. And, and so I, I get that it sucks. And, and look, there's another version of this answer that I can get to in a second, but I think in terms of the work, in terms of the application, just go out there and try to win one fan, man. You know, get your book in front of one more person. And, and I'm not even saying make one sale. I'm saying make one fan, you know, and, uh, and go from there. Um, and in terms of, like, people's mindset, look, you can't control people's mindset. It's just who people are. You know, people are going and, – and look, this isn't just comics. This is, this is sort of the second time in a row where I've talked about the fact that, like, we're talking about comics, but this is so not a comic thing. Because guess what I am when it comes to movies, I'm exactly the corporate comics person that we're railing on when it comes to movies. Because honestly, I go to the movies like five times a year. And four of them are probably Marvel films. <laughs> you know, yeah, like... The same. Dude, that's who I am. And and like, or, or, or three are Marvel, two are DC, and maybe there's one film that's so in my wheelhouse that I just got to see it like a sm- Snowpiercer or a Tenet, you know? But dude, Tenet's put out by Warner Brothers, man. They're not an underdog, <laughs> you know? Like, right, yeah. it's, I, I am, I, when it comes to movies, I am eating at McDonald's and Applebee's, friend. 
we all have our areas and there are people in the indie film game that are like, why can't people do things other than watch big corporate indie films? It's because right. it's because it's what we're comfortable with and it's a lot of work. So again, all you can do is don't go for the people that want to see the corporate films or read the corporate comics. They're not your target audience, man. You know, the, the kind of people that if you're down here in the depths with us, all you want is for those people that love indie books to love your indie book too. That's the best we can do, man. You know, like, yes, is there a chance that somebody who has read nothing but Marvel comics for 30 years gonna gonna go all the way into the depths and, and you know, uh, uh, prowl the scary, scary corners of Artist Alley and small publisher press to find some new stuff? Of course they could, man. Like, you know, people can do that every day. But, you know... What, what I think we should all do is just go for being another book on the stack of the people that love indie comics and see if they can get us added to their pull list and then build out from there. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's like, hey, we don't begrudge anyone. If you're into corporate comics, you're in you're into corporate comics. It's not a big deal. You know, like mm-hmm. Keith just laid out. It's like we're the exact people when it comes to movies. And, and honestly, and, and this is this is a stupid way to think, but. I've always thought people that love those hardcore indie films, I'm like, God, they're so pretentious. They just love their indie films. It's like, come on, come on, guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I totally get it. And uh, there's nothing wrong with liking that stuff, but uh, try out some indies too. You don't you don't have to give up your corporate comics. That's not what we're asking for here. But um, try ours out as well. You know, it's just like, hey, yeah. I do. The, the corporate comics is what got me into the comic game, you know? I, yeah. I grew up a X-Men kid. Like, I totally. loved X-Men. I couldn't get enough of it, you know? And it was <laughs> like, it took the 90s where my favorite comic book artist left Marvel. I was a Marvel zombie. When yeah. uh, I first saw the image eye on, like, Youngblood and Wildcats and Spawn, I was like, well, I love those artists, but it's not a Marvel book. That's literally how I thought about it. I was like, I don't know if I want to buy it because every time I buy a book that's not Marvel, I don't like it. And so even though it was by my favorite creators and I went to a comic shop, the comic store owner or worker, whoever, whoever he was, was like, oh, you don't know about this? And he clued me in onto what happened. And I was like, yeah. well, I'm all in on that then. I want, I want that. I want to check that out and see what it's about. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was hooked from there. So, um, exactly. Yeah. So dude, my, it's, my it's first tough, book was, but, uh, oh, good. My first book was secret wars, which is basically the sluttiest slut of corporate slut crossover comics when you really think about it, <laughs> you know, like it was just awful. <laughs> you know, when yeah, you really think about the concept a comic book behind made it. to sell toys. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I loved it and I still love it, you know? And, uh, but yeah. So anyway, it's, it's not easy. Um, but you know, I'd make the argument that maybe that's not the target audience we want just yet. Let them come around, let them come around to your awesome thing when they get to it. Because at some point, um, what you know, what the hope is in the indie waters is that people get a little disillusioned with the corporate comics and uh, and decide to try something different. And to your point, dude, there's some corporate comics right now that I love. I just read issue two of Catwoman Lonely City. It is awesome. Yeah, Cliff. Chan. I I love it. Right. So you know, Ed Piscor did uh, that X Men book that was all the rage. Right. Grand Design. Grand Design. That's a corporate comic, but it's still right. awesome. You know. So yep. there's. Plenty, plenty of great shit at the corporate level, too. Yeah, those, those are the books that I follow uh, at Marvel and DC are by my favorite cr- uh, creators. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got Sean Gordon Murphy, like he has his Murphy verse in the Batman world. It's essentially like Batman the Animated Series with his twist on it. 
I love all of the books that have come out from that line. And uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, he just jumps from like Marvel and DC, whatever he feels like doing, you know, uh, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, Beta Ray Bill, yeah. uh, just whatever that guy's doing, I'm following it. Doesn't matter the brand on the front of the cover. Uh, it's like where my creators are going, that's where I usually go. Yeah. Um, and uh, fun thing, as we were talking here, you were, you were speaking and a window popped up on the top of my iPad from Joaquin Pereira, who is my colorist. And it was the cover to Kadoja, uh, issue one, uh, which I sent to your phone. No shit. Well, I'm I'm on the phone right now talking to your ass on FaceTime. So I'll have to wait till later. That's fine. Yeah, man. So very cool. That is is a lovely, lovely treat waiting for me at the end of the recording. Let's hurry the fuck up. Let's hurry up so I can (laughs) see this cover. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can't see that shit. No, it looks Uh, like a big white screen of death. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a big glowing screen. You can't (laughs) see it. That's all it is. That's all right, man. That's Hey, man. Uh Delayed gratification, brother. It's all good. Okay. And then, so the next one is Jason Copland, uh, at Jason Copland, figuring out where to put all the money I am making from drawing them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jason. That is just a fun response. Just just remember, look, the, 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 the key there to where to put all your money is from the Jizza in the Wu-Tang financial skit of the Dave Chappelle show. Which is you, you need diversify to diversify your bonds. You need to diversify your bonds, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or under your mattress. Both are good places. Yeah. Uh, okay, the next one is at immortal underscore dream. Keeping going when you feel like no one cares about your work. Finding an audience can be very difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not the first finding your audience one that we've had. And... Um... Look, it's it's my biggest fear, <laughs> right? Like we when I was listening back to that editing, it's it's not having an audience. So, you know, without rehashing some ground we've already did before, man, it's tough. And uh and ideally you're doing this because you love it. We do it because we love it and because we want to create something. And there's a way like comics may not pay yet, right? Because if you work hard at it, they just might. Yeah. But dot, comics dot, dot, are for yeah. Yeah, comics are fulfilling and comics are enriching and comics make you feel better as a creator and they keep you creating and they get you better for the next creation. So there's a lot of value there. You know, we talk a lot about money um, and we should, you know, especially for people that are trying to make a living at at comics and and how difficult that can be. But uh, yeah, man, step by step, day by day, grind by grind and uh, keep on doing it because you love it. And uh, if you stick around, then good things are going to come. Yeah, that's that's the goal. You know, stick around. Just expand your IP, keep putting those issues out. Um, if if you like your story and you like uh, the arts and everything like that, more than likely someone else out there likes it too. But also keep mm-hmm. yourself humble. Make sure you're sending that stuff over to other people that can give you some honest feedback, not your not someone in your family, unless your family is pretty savage about their critiques, then go ahead and give it to them. <laughs> but if uh, your mom loves everything you do, then she's not the person you want to send this stuff to to check out. Yeah. Um, the next one is from at After Dragons, um, uh, paying for art. So this is just something you got to do, man. Yeah, it's tough. It's expensive. Making comics is expensive. You got to pay the artist, the letterer, the writer. Um, you know, depending whatever your job is, the colorist. So it's definitely necessary. Um, you know, the hopes is you can find someone worth the dollar that you're spending, but you know, a lot of times you're paying what you're getting for. 
So if you're yeah. finding some people that are overly cheap, you might be getting some not so great work. And that could lead to what the other person was saying, not finding any aud an audience. No one's reading your yeah. book. Why? Because you're not finding the right artist to pay. You know, you're right. paying someone who is potentially not ready for the prod, you know, for your project or the comics world in general yet. They may be still working and learning. So make sure you're paying the right person. But yeah, you got to pay unless you just have the great fortune to find an artist who is just like, I just need to find a writer for my project. You know, like, uh, you know, they might have an idea and you might want to get some writing under your belt. And so you do their book. So or, you know, you guys just are like, hey, let's collaborate and let's figure out something together and you guys create something together. So there's, you know, those small avenues where you can potentially get around it for a bit. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to pay for, you know, something worth it. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's the game if you're a writer. If you don't want to play that game, then write prose, which incidentally is exactly what I'm doing, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but one of the big things that went into me wanting to write a novel was I'm getting tired of paying artists, <laughs> you know, like straight <laughs> up, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, don't get me wrong. I like making comics and I like paying artists and I like having books out in the world. And I like, you know, something I enjoy is I'm not a good, I don't talk good about myself. I like talking about other people. In fact, I, I so don't like talking about myself that I can't even get the grammar right. Because I was supposed to say, I, I, I don't, what is it? I said, I don't like good. It's supposed to be well. I used the wrong fucking word. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but when you have an artist, you can talk about somebody else. And you can say, what I liked about this was, I liked the way the artist did this. And that way you get to talk about this kick-ass property that's yours. But you don't have to talk about yourself. Which, you know, most people don't enjoy doing. Um, you but, feel like an asshole. Yeah, exactly. If, exactly. if you got a conscious, you, you feel like an asshole, like just talking about yourself nonstop. Here's how great I am. Exactly. Right. So, but, but that is the gig. I mean, it's, it's a visual medium. If you're a writer looking to, to get a comic out and you don't have an artist or don't have an into an artist and you have to pay to an, for an artist, that is the gig. That's the gig, right? Like comics are a visual medium and therefore the people that make the visual part of it deserve compensation. Plus, like we've talked about before, their time, like every single thing on a comic book page that gets drawn has to come through their effort. You know, like it is very feasible for a writer to write multiple comics in a month because the cloud gathering phase of writing is so much of the time. But that's, again, that's the kind of thing you can do that in your car. You can do that walking around. You don't have to sit at a board and put pen to paper to do that part of the job. So what that means is the actual time where you're writing a comic can be pretty short because your cloud gathering phase is so much longer. And that allows some writers to be able to write multiple books a month. Comic artists can't do that shit. You know, like doing a comic is hard dude it takes a lot of time so anyway without yeah, unless you're like point, a savant like george perez and uh john byrne or jack kirby that's it's just that ain't happening that ship is safe yeah exactly exactly so anyway it, it it's it's the breaks and it's it's how the game is man it's it's simply the game all right and that'll conclude the main topic for this episode so uh keith you got any bullshit to bring i have a pet peeve scott I feel oh, like we need to get into that. Yes, the the much 
longed for and awaited pet peeve section is back. It's so, back, baby. It's back. I already, and, and I already gave mine earlier, but uh, Keith, go ahead and take it away. So here's the problem. I'm going to say this. And listeners of the podcast are going to be like, dude, really? And my response is like, yes, really. <laughs> you know, so my pet peeve is over cussing because I've been reading a few books lately. And, and of course, like this is the part where like, Keith, you got a mouth like a fucking trucker, man. <laughs> you know, like you swear a lot, son. But but the thing about my swearing, I like to think is that it has a degree of moderation to it. As much as I swear, like, how about this? I take this this as a compliment that there are some people where I say I swear a lot and they're like, you don't really seem to swear a lot to me. And I think that's because the way I do it is natural and I've I've practiced, <laughs> you know, like it's like it's like the line in it's like the line in Christmas story. I feel like I'm an artist and, and swearing is my true medium, <laughs> like the father, you know. Um, so so it does irk me when there are comics out there and there have been a couple that I have read in this last month where it's just like, fuck, fucking fuck you, motherfucker. What the fuck? You know, and it's like, guys, calm it down, please. You know, like, like, let's, let's just stop. And, and, you know, it reminds me of something. Let me think who did this. Evan Dorkin. Um, so if people don't know who Evan Dorkin is, Evan Dorkin is hilarious. He is an indie comic guy, probably still doing some stuff, although I haven't kept up to date on him recently. He used to do a book called Hate, which I believe was through Fanographics, which was more of his social commentary stuff. And then he did a, well, it's hilarious if you have a certain type of sense of humor, like I do. And it's a book called Milk and Cheese. And it's basically a comic where a a gallon of milk and a wedge of cheese proceed to just humiliate and beat the shit out of everyone. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I find it so funny. <laughs> you know, uh, what's what's the you've you've read some of Milk and Cheese, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was huge yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, the line, the line where they, I like where they're going to the comic convention and they say, this is the panel on why you're all idiots. Now line up for your beatings. <laughs> anyway, um, but Evan... <laughs> if that's not commentary on the creator and what he thinks of fans, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I know, it's so great, dude. Anyway, um, Evan Dorkin had a hilarious little rant one time on rated R movies. And I think he was talking about how once comics got like R rated, especially with the adult slash horror rage of the late 80s and early 90s kind of spurred on by the grittiness of Dark Knight and Watchmen and also the incredibly dark fantasy of Sandman that turned it into like this comics being a rated R commodity. And what his line was or idea about rated r was is that there's an artful way to do rated r and then there's the hollywood way to do rated r where you basically just throw a bunch of naked chicks at it and have a whole lot of guns blowing people's heads off and then just fuck fucking fuck every every five seconds you know so that's kind of where i'm coming from here it's like if it if it has a place then by all means do it but the more you swear the less impact that swearing has and so that's kind of my thing there that it just it feels like people are overdoing it because they overdo it and they're overdoing it because they think it sounds interesting and it's cool. And like, look, cussing is cool, but cussing in moderation is cool. Cussing up a storm where like it is both the noun, the verb and the adjective. That's not cool. That's way too much, brother. You know, like like dial it down. Think of some better words and make sure that your words all have impact, even if those words are swear words. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you and I both cuss pretty heavily, and but I feel like we're using it as either part of the flow of the sentence or the impact of what we're talking about a lot of times, yeah. which I feel like is the appropriate way to cuss. Um, yeah. I was listening to an interview with a famous comic creator, and one of the hosts was not good at cussing and talking. It was like he didn't know a word, so he used fucking instead. You yeah. know, fucking um, blah, 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 blah. And, and one of my buddies had sent it over the interview to me because he really liked that artist. And uh, uh, shout out to my buddy Chris. He sent me the link, and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, I really like the information that I'm getting from the creator, but I really can't stand this one host. It's just like he... He just keeps cussing for the sake of cussing, and it's just like he doesn't know what to say, so he cusses instead, and yeah. and that's not the right way to do it. It's just like you're really taking me out of this interview, man. Seems really unprofessional, and I don't know why this famous creator agreed to talk to you guys. <laughs> so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Anyway, that was my pet peeve. So again, consider the source and then <laughs> judge accordingly. <laughs> but right. but anyway, uh, did you have any bullshit you wanted to bring, man? Oh, man. So I texted you um, that I had just bought something insanely expensive. And uh, this like the other week, I think maybe a couple weeks ago at this point. Thankfully, I've slowed down. Like that was my last big purchase, uh, if not my last purchase uh, on eBay. And it was uh, America Chavez's first appearance. Mm, that's right. And, yes. And so... It was going for, at the time, um, when I started looking it up, I had watched I'd watched something, and, uh, well, she was in all the trailers, so it's not really a spoiler. Doctor Strange 2, she was in Doctor Strange 2, and we saw the first showing, and when we got out of the first showing, I just started looking it up. I'm like, I wonder what, how much her first appearance is, and it went somewhere around 200 and something dollars, um, which I didn't look at past like sales or anything like that. And this one guy had it up for 190 And I was like a penny wise and a pound foolish because I was like 190 Buy it now for 190 That's pretty good. Mm. But the auction starts at 140 And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to bid 140 and just knock that buy it now because I'm worried someone else will do the buy it now before I have yeah. a chance to win it for under, under that. After I do it, I talk to you and I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to, I'm going to probably go up to 190 anyway. And that was like the flaw in my thinking because the comic ended up selling for like 240 and I could have had it for 190 And yes. so I was kicking myself over and over for that. I'm like, what a fucking idiot. I'm looking at all these prices now and they're going on average for 200 plus. And I could have had it for 190 <clears throat> Thankfully, I managed to get one for 194 I was like, okay, $4 difference on the two plus, 200 plus. Um, it's starting to calm down, and they're starting to sell on average for about one seventy-five to one ninety again. So it was just like, man, I got the, I got, I got an okay price. Could have got it for a little bit better, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy with my purchase. Uh, the condition is pretty good, and um, it's definitely off my watch list. I was nice. like, this is, this is a one and done. This isn't going to be one of those instances. Multiples. Yeah, where we're getting multiples of a book because we can get it for 25 bucks or something like that. It's like, no, no, this is 200 bucks. This is, you know, this isn't something I could buy multiple copies of and feel good about it. So yeah. um, that was my one big purchase. 
It was a little nuts. I should have realized there was a little bit of inflation going on because of the release of that movie. Um, but I stand by it. I feel like it's still a good purchase and a nice investment for the future. I have a feeling yeah. that character will be popping up again, obviously, because they are developing so many young characters in the MCU that she has to be around. So mm -hmm. the longer she's in the movies, the more that, that comic will go up. Matt, that makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I... So I'm kind of in a spot with comics where I don't know, man. I'm just I'm just looking around, and I got two long boxes, two short boxes of comics to read, and I still got all those awesome comics that were you know given to me by Mark Gaskins, shouts Mark, and um, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good, you know. I think I think I'm at a spot where I just feel like the bulk has to stop, you know. Like I feel stuffed in my space and therefore if I'm going to get anything I think I've mentioned this to you maybe offline it's just going to be one thing that's like pricey so I do have my eye on something pricey and I'll tell you about it off offline but right now so much of that is a function of what I think my pay the artist schedule looks like you know so I need to have a few conversations because I generally have a rule that I don't want to pay for two books at the same time because I just can't afford it you know, so I need to kind of smooth out some things and make sure that I'm only paying for one comic at a time. And as long as I do that, yeah, I'll have a little bit of spending money because, I mean, again, all work and no play, right? It's not fun to just dump all of your money into paying for artists just so you can get a comic book out. That's great, but I, I like to collect stuff, too. So anyway, um, that's kind of where I am on that. I do want to mention one other thing before we, we get on out of here, which is a local comic shop a couple weeks ago posted that they had old wizards and I was like, yeah, man, you were talking about Wizard and I'd been thinking about Wizard. And so I grabbed, I don't know, a stack of old Wizards, like 10 of them or something like that. Dude, Wizard was a great magazine. You know, like, I think when we reflectively think back on Wizard, the collective kind of thing about Wizard is that they overinflated the price of books. They did the whole price guide thing. They were sort of collectory and over hypey and over imagey. And that's kind of where they were. Like, you know, going through all these old ones, I'm not sure why they ever did the column that was top 10 artists of the month. Because number one was always Todd McFarlane. You know, like like pick up any wizard and the number one artist of the month is probably going to be Todd McFarlane. You know, because yeah, it would fluctuate between like Todd, Jim Lee. Rob, um, right? Rob. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, but that said, the the overlooked thing about Wizard, there are some very cool articles and interviews in there, dude. Like, I I've only gotten through two of my issues, and I've already read interviews with Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Sam Keith, um, John Byrne. You know, like heavyweights, man. And they were just right there talking about... Now, at the time, they were all talking about their jam. Barry Windsor Smith, that was the time... A lot of Wizards Prime was in kind of like the first big indie wave, right? Which was Valiant, Legend, which John Byrne was on, uh, Malibu's Ultraverse, which doesn't even... Like, that thing got wiped off the map, but that was kind of neck and neck with Valiant for a little while in Heat. And, of course, Image and some things like that. So, Image happened, and then a lot of people either tried to form their own big indie, like Valiant and Malibu, or 
they did their legend creator imprint, which has got some pretty great, you know, awesome creators there that are, that are yeah. Frank legends. Miller, Art Adams, yeah. John exactly. Byrne. Yeah. No pun intended. Right. So anyway, um, but dude, some great interviews in there and uh, just the content alone in some of these wizards is awesome. And uh, anyway, so totally worth it. And I'm, that's just my lunch reading every day. You know, when I need a little, whatever, I'm just knocking, you know, 20 minutes of reading of that out and I'll get through them in a couple months and it's fun as hell. So anyway, man. Yeah, I would, I would um, always go to the Brutes and Babes section. I love that. It was like the drawing, learn to draw section of it. I would try, like, I remember there was a couple of issues on perspective, and I mm-hmm. tore those out of the Wizards. I cut them out, and I had them in my binder because I just yeah. wasn't good with, I didn't, just didn't understand perspective. So I'd have to read it over and over and over again to really understand it. And, um, yeah, I love the interviews. Uh, very image-focused. They were... You know, if if you guys aren't watching it already, um, you should check out the Cartoonist Kayfabe on YouTube. The earliest episodes of Cartoonist Kayfabe was Wizard-centric, and that's kind of how they built up their fan base. They would go through each issue of Wizard, and they would talk about the interviews, the, you know, like the... Um, you know, where artists would send in pieces, like their own drawings, like the the, mm-hmm. comp- the art competition, they would go through and they would talk about like, oh, this guy actually um, ended up working in animation. This guy actually works in comics now. Um, so they had a lot of cool insights, like uh, they would pick it through and kind of go, okay, so in this interview, they talk, this creator talks about this, but in this other interview, they actually talk about this. So it kind of mm-hmm. contradicts what they said and yada, yada. So it, it's all very fascinating. So yeah, if you're into wizard, definitely check out those uh, episodes of cartoonist kayfabe. Not like they need a plug from us. They're like so giant, but um, yeah, definitely fun. And that's actually why I got into that channel was because of their wizard coverage because, Hey, it's a great trip down nostalgia lane. Yeah. And I was picking up, sometimes I would pick up a wizard over picking up a couple more issues of whatever book I was reading, you know, it was like, okay, this is my budget for the week. And so, okay, $5 automatically goes to wizard. So then I have 15 other dollars to go to these other comics. So, um, uh, definitely a fun book to read. They were definitely corrupt in the sense that you can buy, you can buy wizard. You could buy ad space like a motherfucker in there. That's why, that's why Valiant was so heavily listed in there, as well mm-hmm. as Image Comics. It was like, yeah, you could pay them off, and they will yeah, highlight totally. you and make you seem like you're the best thing since sliced bread. And mm-hmm. I remember falling for it a, a little bit for Valiant because I just yeah. I would read Valiant. I'm like, I'm just not as interested in this. It's like, am I am I just not a smart enough comic fan where I don't get why this is cool? And yeah. uh, you know, a lot of it was just because it, it wasn't that cool. It was like there was like Ninjak was cool to me, Bloodshot, Turok. Those were cool characters. But um, uh, like Harbinger, those, you know, Hardcore, like those other titles, they didn't really pique my interest. I just wasn't there. I was a teenager. So, you know, maybe it was the age gap or whatever the case. But um, yeah, just I don't know, just interesting to to go back Mm -hmm. and listen to those guys break it all down and and point things out. And it's just like after a while, it's so glaring. It's like, oh, yeah. You know, like that does happen every issue, you know, and uh, but it's fun. It's fun time. Right on. All right, cool. Um, Well, I think that'll cover it for this episode. So um, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. 
Yep. For me, it's at Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. I'm posting almost daily on that with all kinds of stuff, quotes and art and all kinds of other good stuff. And then if giant monsters and only giant monsters are your thing, then hit me up at at Kadoja Kaiju. And if you want to pick up my books, you can go to accidentalaliens.com. Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, a Thousand Years in the Future, We Start Colonizing Other Planets, and Come Across the Planet Melisanda, Where the Meteor Never Hit, and Dinosaurs of That World Survived in a Vault. And uh, so it's two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that ever work? It never works, man. It never works. So if you want those books, check those out at accidentalaliens.com, and they'll be there for you as long, uh, along with the Accidental Alien Anthologies and Tales from the Mothership. Yep, and for me, you can find, hey, by the time this comes out, Three Protectors just might be out. I just got word that the shipment's on its way. So, uh, you know, the Kickstarter backers are going to get their own books in a, in a few weeks, but I believe the newsstand edition might hit the newsstand soon. And uh, it might be on the site by the time you see this. So Three Protectors is already there. That is Interplanetary Kung Fu. And then there is Kadoja, which is going on its fourth arc. And that is Giant Monsters Meet H.P. Lovecraft. And in a week... You're going to have your chance to get either the new issue of Kadoja if you've been with us for a long time, or you can get them all because we're going to have tiers for that too. And like we've talked about, we have a variant edition by the one and only Scott Lost and some other killer tiers there as well. So we're going to have some fun with it with our own Making Comics variant. And uh, hopefully you check that out and, uh, and grab one for yourself. And that'll start on June 6th. And I will also have a Kickstarter out more than likely in June. Uh, Wanders of Melisanda 3, you'll have the opportunity to grab all three issues, 1, 2, and 3. And there's going to be an alternate and Kickstarter cover, which is uh, the Shaheen LaJuiz Kickstarter exclusive. And then the Scott Shaw uh, Hanna-Barbera-esque cover uh, variant. So look for those uh, on my social medias. I will more than likely have the link in all of the social media that I, that I run there. And, uh, yeah, look up Wanders of Melisanda, uh, and you should be able to find that if you just go on Kickstarter. Um, and Millispon- Jesus Christ, I can't talk today, man. <laughs> uh, so you can go on kickstarter.com, and you can search Wanders of Melisanda. Melisanda is spelled M-E-L-I-S-A-N-D-A. So uh, look for Wanders of Melisanda on kickstarter.com, or just go to one of my uh, social medias and go into the bio, and the link will be there for you. Yeah, man. And don't forget to email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of the social media handles we just mentioned. And if you feel so inclined, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, give us five stars, give us words. That stuff matters. We see it in the algorithm when stuff jumps. Like, I will look at it and be like, wow, we got some more listeners this week. And more times often, more times than not, we got a couple new reviews or even one. And that's how much it spikes the algorithm. It's pretty crazy. So if you're listening, thank you so much. We love you. And uh, and if you haven't given us a review yet, well, then please do. That'll, that would be quite awesome for all of us. We'll love you even more after that. We'll love you even more. We'll love you a long time. So long. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you guys next week. Yay, yay. Yay.